I am back from the land of the dragons and I am so happy to be back home. <laughs> I've been to Brittany. That's why for two weeks there was a break in the updates of the podcast. But uh, I really needed it. And boy, did I have a good time not working. Well, that is to say I did actually do a bit of work but it was all fun work and I'll talk about my experiences in Brittany in this episode of The Walk. It's a nice evening. It is uh, already getting a bit chilly. Summer is definitely over but it's still uh, nice weather to walk outside. The skies are blue. The sun is not yet entirely down so there is still a bit of light so I'm heading towards the the woods in in this episode of the walk I would like to share with you a number of lessons that I've learned during my vacation a lot of them are things that I discovered about myself things that I um, appreciated and rediscovered also some things that were more difficult than I anticipated and also revealed something about my own limitations and uh, so I'm sharing these stories in the hope that they are a bit relatable or maybe not (laughs) but at least this is my experience um, on this tour in in the land of the dragons why am I talking about the land of the dragons this has to do with uh, my first story and that is uh, one of the, the the first places that I visited was a small town in um, near the near the coast of Brittany, we were. If you if you picture France, France is like a bit of a looks a bit like a sea star, and so we were in the uh, upper left part of France. Uh, we uh, rented a cottage that on the website said it said this is uh, at walking distance of the of the sea of the beach. Walking distance turned out to be a little bit of a misnomer because it would require us an hour-long walk to get to the beach. So this was not um, as close as we as we thought it would be. However, um, I, I went for a run uh, a couple of times, and that was only thirty minutes. So it did feel like something you you didn't have to hop into a car to get to the beach. Now, the 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 first small town that I visited was called Locurec and all these names in Brittany are, are very strange um, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell uh, as you know that part of France has been greatly influenced by these monks from these Welsh monks that, that came from England um, and accompanied uh, thousands if not tens of thousands of of migrants that came from England and settled in France Um, and so these monks went along with that migration and started to uh, build first usually some hermit how do you say that these um, like they lived as hermits and then they would gather followers and they would start small communities sometimes they, they built monasteries or settled in in small villages and so this um, Celtic influence that they brought with them and this was language this was uh, songs music food all that uh, they they brought that and since um, all these 
people f- with this Celtic background settled in that part of France. All the names are, are kind of strange, and the Breton language that they speak there is very akin to um, the, the Celtic languages that you will find in, in Ireland. So this is why the, that town was called Loquirec. And if you look into it, uh, these names actually all have, have very specific meanings tied, or oftentimes have meanings tied to uh, these early missionary settlers. And so Loquirec is, actually means, Loc means cottage or hermitage or uh, like shelter, and Quirec comes from a saint, one of the first monks who came to Brittany and started evangelizing, um, also became a bishop. There's seven of them, and there are wonderful legends about how they arrived in Brittany. I'll get to that in a minute. And the, and the, the miracles that they performed and the things that they did. Um, it's, it's straight, you know, high fantasy Material. It, it, these stories are absolutely amazing. Um, so Loquirec means actually this. This was used to be the hiding place for Saint Quirec, or he has lots of different names. Um, in, in most of these early saints have names that have evolved over time, depending on uh, which dialect they were um, uh, mentioned in, and so. Apparently, this, this particular saint had um, probably a, a grotto. I remember I went to Scotland a couple of years ago to film a series of documentaries about the, um, the Celtic monks there in, in, uh, in Scotland. And they b- basically just perpetuated their lives, the, the kind of life that they had and their religious practices um, uh, and they brought that whole lifestyle to to France, and so, the, according to legend, these saints arrived in in boats, but not regular boats. the The funny thing is that those boats apparently looked like stone coffins, and of course, being made out of stone, they should sink. Uh, to the bottom of the ocean or the the sea, but they didn't because they were uh, pulled by angels, and the saints were so fervently praying that their boats stayed afloat, and that's how they arrived um, in in Brittany. Now, conveniently enough, in the depictions that we have of those stone boats, they do look like coffins, and so. Uh, according to the stories, some of these saints were so devoted, so aware of the fact that every day that they lived was a day given by God, that in order to remind themselves of the fact that, that you know, God could call them to eternal life any moment, they would sleep in their coffins. It was just a pious exercise so that every evening you know that, well, this day was a gift but I don't know if tomorrow I'm going to be alive. And so these stone coffins then uh, were taken, uh, or they, they actually used them as boats to go to France. So they could continue to sleep in them, I suppose. 
<laughs> now, of course, there is also another explanation, which is probably more realistic, and that is these sarcophagus-type stone tombs were kept usually in or around the cathedrals that were named after these saints. So oftentimes they would just dig up these these um, uh, stone coffins and, and place them. Uh, sometimes they would bury them in, uh, in the church itself or uh, around the church. Um, and th- I remember visiting one of those cathedrals and there was this kind of boat-like coffin (laughs) it was just a coffin but i imagine that people saw this and then started to tell stories about them this is actually not a coffin this is a boat it's miraculous also reminded me of one of the last places i visited on my uh, journey to santiago and beyond in the final village uh near the coast that i visited um there were there was this lighthouse, this tiny lighthouse, and um, uh, it was surrounded by these huge rock formations. All these rocks had strange shapes because of the the influence of the water and the, and the wind and everything. And so uh, the people had started to tell uh, lots of tales about these stones that actually they were not regular rocks. No, there was, for instance, one stone that looked a bit like a, like a boat another triangular stone reminded them of a sail and so they spun the story of how the virgin mary actually arrived on those shores to help saint james to evangelize saint james had to been trying to convert the people in that part of the world fruitlessly and he started to pray and the virgin mary um, responded by coming to the aid of saint james and she also was sailing a stone boat. So this, these stories have lots and lots of different versions throughout history. And, uh, but this, what does this have to do with dragons? Well, that is what is then uh, the, the continuation of these tales uh, about these early monks slash bishops is that they were extremely courageous and brave. We always think of monks as kind of, you know, they're praying all day long, so they're <laughs> they're probably very slender and, you know, not the kind of sl- dragon slayers that you would <laughs> associate with fantasy tales. However, these monks had actually just come across the sea. These monks lived under very austere circumstances very often. They were, of course, literate. They had studied. Um, most of them um, had, had, for instance, studied in Ireland, and uh, but they weren't from Ireland originally, and then they came back to another monastery in England, and then they were sent out to Europe, to, to the mainland, to evangelize. And so they would pick the strongest of them, because this was a perilous journey in those days. And so the stories that that you that you see depicted in churches and in the cathedrals and in um, the the ornamentation in even the wood wooden ornamentation of the of the stalls where uh, the monks would pray um, they depict these saints fighting dragons. It was this one cathedral that had 
a number of dragons kind of hidden all over the place. And so it, it was a bit of a, a quest for me to to film some images of those particular scenes where you see a dragon uh, facing a tiny monk, and the monk actually, of course, wins that battle, wins that confrontation. And um, there was this one saint who uh, was said to have caught a dragon, a fierce dragon that was menacing the people in um, in, the envi- in the region where he tried to evangelize. And that dragon was so dangerous that only the saint dared to approach it. He took his stole. So the stole is this long piece of cloth that you drape over your shoulders and it represents um, the priesthood and uh, the uh, kind of the the pastoral tasks of uh, of a priest or a bishop and of course protecting the flock is one of those pastoral tasks and so he took that stole the symbol of that duty that he had to protect people and um, he's he, he flung it like a lasso around the neck of that dragon. And the dragon was unable to resist the pull of the saint. Maybe he was aided by this supernatural strength that came from his, his uh, shepherd role or divine help. And so he um, took the dragon for a long walk and brought him to an island, the island of Bass, B-A-T-Z, and ordered the dragon to jump into the sea and to never return. And the dragon, so afraid of the monk, did exactly that. And that is how that particular region was freed from the, the, the grips of this fierce dragon. Oh, wow. The heather here in these fields that surround me is all blooming. When I left a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was nothing. This all looked gray, and now it's this beautiful purple. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I think there's even more heather than last year. I think they've been working here. And to uh, what you actually have to do in order to promote the growth of the heather is to impoverish the soil. And... um, as, as the rest of the world, we too are struggling with the effects of climate change. And so you see a lot of these, these plains uh, becoming, become more and more grassy. The grass is very strong and because of the sun is very resistant. And so the more grass there is, uh, the less heather. And I think they've been trying to counteract the effects of, that, um, of those changes. It looks absolutely fantastic. All right, I have to come back to take some photos uh, because this is only here for a very short time of the year. Um, so this, these stories and discovering these stories became the quest of, of, of this year's vacation. And I, I really needed something to focus on. And this has to do with... Um, Something I've learned over the years when I'm on vacation, and I've shared this before um, in, um, in my podcast, is that if, I am, if my, my attention is guided by the desire to 
learn a story, to discover a story, and to follow that thread over an, a number of days, I actually get much more out of my vacation than if I would just go to Brittany and then, uh, what are we going to do today? Uh, let's go to the beach. Um, all right, I'm on the beach now. It's nice. Let's get an ice cream and let's walk around. Oh, there's, there's a church. That's a nice church. It's beautiful. Let's say a prayer and let's move on. Next day, um, let's go visit some ruins of some monks. And yeah, this is cool. Too bad. There. You know, the whole vacation would be just this mishmash of, of different sites and locations that if, if I wouldn't take any photos, I would probably forget about it uh, in, in a very short while. And so knowing that I was actually trying to discover this one story that I wanted to film, because I, know, I, I knew I wanted to later on tell this story and share it with you as, as my followers, uh, gave me so much more focus and helped me also to prepare every visit and to actively engage with the places where I was trying to figure out how is this part of this overall story that, that marks my vacation this year. And another reason that it, it, it not only did it help me to have a much more intense experience of this trip to Brittany, um, because everywhere I went, I was looking for dragons. It was the first thing we entered church. Where's the, where's the local dragon? Where's the local saint? Because it turns out that all these saints have, have battle dragons. And then I did some research. Well, what, where does the idea of dragons come from? Why do all these old stories have monsters, dragons, sea monsters, like, the, like Nessie, Loch Ness? That's another monster who actually is already mentioned in, um, I think it was Columbus. Columbine, St. Columbine or St. Columba? No, St. Columba um, in Scotland, who actually also saved a man from this big sea monster. Why do we have all those monsters in these ancient stories? And where are those monsters now? So that became uh, one of my questions. And so how did these, why did they tell these stories? What's the, what's the deeper layer of this? What's the secret behind these stories about monks and dragons? So I actually eventually figured that out, but it took me more than a week before I found the first explanation that was able to satisfy my curiosity. And so that, that gave me a real, um, kind of a, like a, a, what's the word? Kind of this, this, this guiding line that, that took me from the beginning of my vacation to the last day. The, the, the second reason that I actually needed this and wanted this is that I'm always um, a bit disrupted by vacation. And I think the more I enjoy what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, and I do love my work, um, the more a vacation becomes something that kind of takes me out of something that I really like and then of course plunges me into a situation that might actually also be very nice and uh, and I know intellectually that it's good to step away from time to time from your your daily business but I wasn't really in the mood for this vacation I really didn't feel any need 
to go on vacation. Probably also because I now live in one of the most beautiful parts of, of the Netherlands. I mean, I'm, I'm currently walking in fairy tale like woods. I'm surrounded by these big trees and I'm walking over uh, the, the, these ancient tree roots and it's already getting a bit dark. So there's a lot of... I mean, I live almost as if I, I'm in Middle Earth. And, and so in the past, when I still lived in the city of Amersfoort, I loved to go on vacation and to be closer to nature and being in a, in a, in a more stimulating environment. But nowadays, you know, I just like to be this. My life is a vacation <laughs> to a certain extent. So, and the other aspect of going on vacation is I really like my routines. I love the balance that I found in my life. And all of that got a little bit, or actually I say a lot, disrupted this year because I was on vacation with three other people with very different attitudes, very different characters, very different habits. And negotiating or renegotiating my own personal balance with the rest of the group turned out to be very difficult this year. Um, I'll get to, you know, some of the some of the examples in a minute. But having uh, this story about these these monks and these dragons and all the miracles and it just gave me a reason to to wake up every morning and to tell myself, well, you know what, there are a lot of downsides uh, to this vacation and to being with this group and in this particular cottage. But I'm still getting a huge kind of return on my emotional investment here because I would probably never go here, travel here by myself. And so the fact that we uh, were there in Brittany in, in that particular region, it was all kind of happenstance originally the way we organized it because we, we tried, <laughs> we figured, we, we looked all over the map of Europe. Where are we going this year? And then... It was just very hard to find something that was an interesting location where it wouldn't be too hot in the summer and uh, that wouldn't, would still be a bit affordable. And so after many, many tries, we came upon this cottage and we were all like, ah, oh, we're so, let's just go here. We don't know what it is. Uh, the photos, I don't know. It doesn't look very, very good, but let's do it anyway. Um, we can afford it, and at least Brittany is an interesting region. But that was all I knew in advance. And I had looked up the location of the cottage on a map, on Google Maps, and if you get that satellite overview, it was just all um, farmland. It was all f relatively flat. And, and so when we were driving all the way to Brittany, it took us two days to go there, um, I was already dreading these two weeks because I felt that the environment itself it was actually a downgrade from where I normally live and so anyway the the house itself was okay-ish it was a, 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 a small farmhouse and the the owner the lady that owned the house um, had let it had it was had it renovated uh, but it wasn't done very well and so lots of stuff was br broken like a lot of the equipment was broken. Everything was a bit dirty. And uh, unfortunately... Hello. 
the the uh, uh, the rooms were not evenly distributed, and this is a recurring thing that, that every year I, I'm I'm resenting the fact that there's usually there are a few big rooms, and then there's the children's room because all these vacation houses are rented to, usually to families, and you know the the children's room always has the smallest bed. Is this is the smallest? It, it, there's no desk. There's nothing because it's made for little kids. And then I always end up in that smallest room. And this has happened year after year after year. And the rest of the group kind of assumes that I will just gladly take that small room because, after all, I'm a Hobbit, <laughs> and uh, they are all a lot taller than I am. And of course, you know, there's a re. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. But this time. The room was so tiny. There was a, a baby crib. And the, it wasn't even a regular bed. It was a... a um, what is it? What's the name? A bunk bed. Like a really cheap bunk bed with a mattress that was just a few inches thick. So I could feel every wooden plank on the bottom of the bed. Plus, one of the planks had, was broken. So there's this gap in the middle of the bed and every time I would turn like my hip would sink into that gap and it it was so uncomfortable and I was a bit mad I was like this is every single year I I don't even have a place to sit so (laughs) all the others have the nice rooms I have this it just I felt like on privet drive you know the cupboard under stairs and I was telling myself you know there's something I I know that um, a a good attitude in life would be just to be grateful and, you know, realize how privileged I am to be there. But this is to do more with group dynamic. I always feel like a bit of the, 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 the person in the group that is not entirely on the same level as the other three. And uh, I, I know it's all subconscious probably, but there is still something that irks me. And it irks me more and more and more. Um, so then this is just one example. Um, but it doesn't feel good to always be in a Harry Potter um, situation in a group. It is, it is, I, th- I feel like if you're on vacation with friends... Everybody needs to have equal input. The same is true about the spending, which was uh, this year was really a, 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 a contentious point for me. Um, I, I'm very thrifty, as you know, I, I, because I don't make much money and I have to, we're still upside down for uh, financing the work that I do. And so I literally turn every penny. I'm, I'm so careful in how I spend my money because I know that I, am, I, I can do what I do because of donations. And so that, that, that money for me is so important to, to be extremely careful so I don't splurge on, on anything. I, I try to um, just be very responsible in the way I spend money. The other three have a very different pattern um and so they were spending so much money on 
food, on wine, on... And I, I told them, you know, I stopped drinking alcohol about a year ago because it, it has such a negative impact on my sleep. And I've discovered how important sleep is for me and good quality sleep. So I, I tried to explain and you know, I, I, I cannot, cannot join you. I'll just drink some soda and, and I'm fine in water and tea and that's, that's okay. As long as I get my, my cup of coffee in the morning, it's fine. But then they almost, it felt as if they were taking advantage of the situation to just always get the, these expensive wines and then some one of the group said, well, I'll just pay out of pocket for this, out of my own pocket, because Father Roderick has been complaining about our spending every year. And, well, I actually told him, well, that's good. That's fair. You know, I'm not drinking that wine. I don't think, I, I don't value um, all this expensive stuff. So why should I pay for it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just... So, but despite that, despite the fact that they were putting in some of their own money to get the stuff that they only shared with the three of them, um, it still just was... The, the costs were so high. And, um, and I was not able to control that because, of course, the assumption is, well, what's just the four of us? Let's just split it. 25% of all the costs for, per, per member of the group. But that ultimately resulted in a vacation that was way over my budget. I just paid the the bill, and I would say if I if if I would organize this vacation and I would go on vacation in the way that I like to live, and I've been of course on trips by by myself uh, very often in the past, I would probably have spent less than half of what I ultimately had to pay for this. And so, um, again, I, I don't want to sound judgmental about the other members of the group because it's their vacation. And, and they too, they work hard and uh, they, they, they want to enjoy themselves. So that's p- perfectly fine with me. What I felt was I, I almost feel like an outsider because I'm constantly making different choices. My values to a certain extent, don't align always with the rest of the group. And that, that doesn't feel good. Um, so I was focusing, in, in, instead of just complaining, because I don't feel that's productive at all, I, I, I felt I, have to, I just have to embrace this situation. This is just what, I, what I'm given, and now the question is, of course, what do I do in this given situation? Um, and... Uh, how can I make the most out of it? And so my solution was, let me just follow the story of these monks. And the, that distracted me from the, the things that I struggled with on this particular vacation. Um, and it helped me also feel good about, you know, well, this, is my, this is the way I like to spend my vacation. I love to film. I've been interviewing a ton of people which also was a fruit of all the thinking that I've been doing uh, these past few months and that I shared with you about how I want to change my presence on, in, in the, the online media as a storyteller. That is my strength. But to tell a good story, I need storytellers in my story. So I was interviewing 
um, people everywhere I went. And, uh, and I think I gathered probably the best information, the best conversations that I've ever filmed on a vacation. So I felt good, ultimately, after we returned. So I came back, uh, we, we drove back in one day. It was exhausting. It was almost 12 hours by car. And, uh, and so the rest of the, this past week, these past few days, I've been really recovering. Um, I was so, so tired of the whole vacation. But at the same time, I'm also so thankful that I'm back home. Um, and now I'm, I'm going to tell this story. So what I'm planning to do is to, um, to create a, um, like a, a three-part uh, documentary video um, of a total of probably 25 minutes. We'll see if I can fit it all into 25 minutes. And it's going to be about these, these, these Catholic dragon slayers. It's, a, it's an amazing story. And so um, knowing how I'm going to tell that story and having this treasure of very cool footage, I can't wait to share it with you. I'll be working on that next week. And as, as I look at it right now, so for my other podcast, A Break, I'm also going to focus more on storytelling. Um, but, uh, of course, I cannot create a documentary video every week. Um, so most of those stories will still be uh, focusing on audio. But if I can find new resources, um, maybe new, new patrons and some sponsors, over time I can increase the number of video documentaries that I can produce if I don't have to edit everything myself like I have to do now to save costs. So looking forward to, to that particular uh, project for the month of September. And um, I'll let you know when, when it's ready. And I can already reveal one little thing. What is the meaning of that dragon? It was ultimately the symbol for what these monks struggled with the most. And instead of... Uh, condemning the people for not getting rid of the dragon, those saints took responsibility for the situation they found themselves in and they chased away those dragons. And the dragon uh, was... So what was the thing that they struggled most with? It's the fact that most people didn't care about their message and just went on to hold on to their, their original beliefs. And so the dragon over time became the symbol of paganism and all this, this superstition that these saints were trying to eradicate. But the, the, the superstition was fighting back. It was very difficult to change people. And so it took almost divine power in conjunction with the courage of these monks to ultimately rid the country of this destructive beast called paganism <laughs> and I felt it was almost a metaphor of my vacation because I too was struggling with a number of things I, I realized how difficult it is to change other people the only person that I can influence that I can truly influence in addition of course to setting some boundaries and trying to protect those but the only, the only person that, I could, that could make this vacation a success was me so I had to basically take all those dragons that I was fighting <laughs> with a bit of faith and, uh, 
and 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 try to chase them from my consciousness by focusing on my mission what i really wanted to do and that was to tell a good story and to film a good story and i think that was successful so all in all it was a great vacation i will continue um some personal stories in uh, the portion of this podcast that I share with my patrons. Um, and if you would like to get access to the premium version of the walk every week, then I invite you to take a look at the, um, the tiers of the, um, of the Patreon page over at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. I um, just this day kind of reorganized the tiers a bit, uh, cleaned them up, made them much simpler so you can see what kind of extras you get. But of course, what I hope is that you can help me to continue this work. And as I mentioned, we're still upside down, so I could really use any help, even if it's just a little bit. Um, but as a, as a community, I think we can come together and, and, and um, make this work. So, patreon.com slash Roderick. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. And I'll talk to you next week.